Welcome to Season 4 of Game Design Unboxed on the No Direction Network. Danielle Reynolds talks to tabletop game designers about the games they've made. Together, they unbox how the game went from inspiration to publication. Proudly sponsored by AllPlay. If you're looking for a board game table, bag, playmat, or great board games, check them out at letsallplay.com. Thank you for joining me, Danielle, for Game Design Unboxed Inspiration to Publication, Episode 82, Mansplaining. Today we are joined by Pertessa Elise and Mondo Davis, the designers of this awesome party game. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having us. Hello. Thank you. This is great. I've known both of you for a bit, and so I'm always happy to talk party games. But for anyone who doesn't know both of you, how did you get into the game design industry? For me, I liked creating things before I started getting into game design. And a friend of mine was just like, I'm going to create my first board game. And I was like, I didn't know that was a thing you could do. So then I thought about like, what would I create if I created a board game, which led me to designing my first game, Book of Villainy. That is how I got started uh, in 2017. What about you, Mondo? I, uh, yeah, I kind of came in through board games sort of through the back door, I like to say. I, I had a computer game that I used to love to play as a kid called Escape Velocity that uh, was like on an old Mac operating system that is not accessible anymore. Like you can't find this game anywhere. And I was kind of thinking about that game. I was sort of bummed out that it was like no longer something that I could play and thought to myself, uh, that'd be a cool, it'd be cool if somebody made a, a board game version of it. And so I was just in a place in my life where I decided to try <laughs> to do it myself having really no idea what the hobby board game world looked like. I mean, I hadn't really, I, I think I'd played Carcassonne at that point, but that was it as far as like modern hobby board games. So, uh, and then I set out to try to make my own and then learned <laughs> along the way, very hard lessons, but, but yeah, I came into contact through the, you know, with the whole board game design world and the, and the board game world as well. And haven't looked back, that was about eight years ago now. So I've been doing it for a while, a while. And how did the two of you end up meeting? How did we end up meeting? It was it was definitely at a board game convention, and I believe it was outside of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. I think it was Tantrum Con. And yeah, it was Tantrum Con. And I believe you were playtesting a very early version of Wicked and Wise because you had to leave early, or maybe that was somebody else. But you were, te- were playtesting a very early version of Wicked and Wise, and I think I also playtested your city game where you were you were trying to, was it clean up the city? It was like fully illustrated by your wife, by Peach, and it was gorgeous, and maybe it was cooperative? Yeah, Saving Small Town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, we, that's, that is. And yeah, she, you know, Fertessa was in Atlanta for the first maybe a year that we knew each other. So we, we were kind of running in concentric design circles and did different playtesting events and stuff together as well. So that's that's how we got connected. And then when the time came, I was looking for a design partner for this game that you know we're, we're going to talk about, Mansplaining. And I had playtested with Fertessa enough and seen her kind of design ethos and approach and was like, there is no one else that I'd rather work on this more than Fertessa. So it, it worked out pretty well. Such an honor. Yes, I was very happy because Mondo's my very first collaboration and very first party game. So that was super exciting when he approached. And I was like, really? That's awesome. Sure. <laughs> For anyone who doesn't know what mansplaining is, actually, that's funny. Please talk about the definition of mansplaining, but also the game. <laughs> Mondo. I feel like I should not take this one, actually. <laughs> Okay, yeah. <laughs> Let's go for Tessa. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, mansplaining is a wonderful phenomenon where usually a man will come over and explain in detail an answer to a question you did not ask. And they will go on and on. But, you know, lots of different people can mansplain, women can mansplain. But it is a thing where you're getting uninvited information, just kind of info dumping about a particular thing. And usually it irritates people, which is why it was funny to make a game about mansplaining and why it was a very interesting challenge to do so without making people walk away angry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely. For anyone who hasn't played it, how did you achieve that goal and how do you play? The game is, we kind of describe it as reverse taboo. You know, if you're playing taboo, you're trying to get people at the table to guess uh, a word or phrase with, but there's words that you can't say. In mansplaining, you're trying to explain a topic, mansplain how to do something, and usually that's something pretty run-of-the-mill, like how to mow the lawn or how to do the dishes or learn a new language, or there's all these cards that have these different topics on them. Uh, So you're trying to get people at the table to guess that, but you also have four detail words, which are random, hopefully unrelated words that you're trying to sneak into your mansplanation. So everybody's listening, and they will, at the end of the mansplanation, try and guess what the topic was, but also what the four detail words were. So you're like words that you want to say, but you don't want to be obvious about them. So it, it ends up being a pretty funny, um, you know, thematic thing where you're like using a lot of words to describe something that's really simple because you're trying to hide these other words in it, like in your in your mansplanation. And ends up sounding a lot like mansplaining, which I feel like is a, is a fun little effect of the game design and kind of what we set out to do. And how does the scoring work for the game? The scoring works in such a way where the mansplainer wants people to understand what they're talking about, the topic, but they do not want them to understand or figure out what detail words they're slipping in because that that's not important. You don't have to know how to use the words or what they mean. You just have to put them in there. And for every word that you use, you're going to get points as the mansplainer. And if people understood what you were saying, then you also get a point. However, you don't want too many people to to understand otherwise who's going to ask you for a follow-up mansplanation. Now, as the audience, you're going to get points for everything you get right, just straight up. So if you guess the topic, that's a point. If you guess the words that were in there, those are points. Um, And then people can take as many or as few turns as they want and get points like that. You can have a little tally sheet with you and you just check off uh, each point you get until you decide to end the game. When people are taking those guesses, say you're talking about mowing the lawn and whatever the word is, maybe it's like rock or something. I call Mm -hmm. out rock, but someone else also thinks rock. Is it in a specific order? Are you writing down the words? So it's like you can't copy or how does that part work? Yes. So when you're playing mansplaining, think of the mansplainer as a wonderful professor and you are the student. You have your own little piece of paper to write your notes on. Um, So while they're having their 60 second mansplanation, you can write down any suspicious words you may find, any guesses as to what they may be talking about. And at the end of it, you have to narrow it down to one guess for the topic and four guesses for what the word could be. After everyone has finalized what their guesses are, then you could do it a variety of ways. The mansplainer could just reveal the words they used and the topic, or people could take turns saying what they did. And then the mansplainer just says, yes, this is actually what the topic is. And this is what the words were. So however is most dramatic for you. So it sounds like, Mondo, you had the initial inspiration for this game and you were a guy. So I want to know, like, how'd you come up with the idea? And 
I I have a guess as to why you asked a girl to be part of it, but I want the story from you. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I was just, as a designer, we're always kind of thinking through different um, things that would make interesting gaming experiences. And um, I've, I've felt like the kind of cultural phenomenon of mansplaining was just something that was begging for parody and it would be fun to make a game that kind of poked fun at it but honestly like when i started out uh with the like kind of just in the ideation process i had like sort of more complex games in mind that were like learning opportunities almost and and i didn't get too deep into mechanics but that was sort of where i was where my head was at as i thought about making a game for man's about mansplaining and you know I, i obviously very quickly realized that 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 wasn't a story that I should be telling about myself as a cisgendered white male um, and it was you know felt really strongly that I, I wanted to have a female um, perspective on it and, and work with with a female designer just because again like I don't I, I feel like it's not necessarily my job to I don't know how to, you know what I'm saying to, to make a game about mansplaining Oh, for sure. No, I mean, I think it's hilarious because I remember over COVID, I digitally playtested with you guys for this game. And as soon as I was like, yeah, I forget what group it was, but I was just like, this is hilarious. I love this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I I think that's one of the great things that worked out, you know, with our kind of collaborating on it was, I think for test, the ideas that for test brought in mechanically were just like a lot better than the direction that I initially intended on taking it. Uh, Because the game came together pretty quickly like we we started emailing back and forth just like here's an idea okay but what about this okay but what about this okay but what about this and it pretty quickly got stripped down from again sort of the more complex direction that i had thought we were gonna you know we might start out in to this like really simple thing that you know is just what we just explained but it's like a very very simple system that can be a lot of fun uh that kind of does a good job framing the question or, or the the phenomenon of mansplaining in like a in a way that is I guess palatable and not like preachy. It's not a game that people are going to play and be offended by on either side of kind of that mentality and that space. So I really appreciated having Fertessa's perspective and, and, you know, help and partnership in this game because I think that her, her that brought the game to a place that I probably wouldn't have taken it um, in a place. that's probably, you know, that's much better than any place I would have taken it by myself. As far as like the different, changes in playtesting and like what were the things that changed from this more I guess maybe thinky game to a more streamlined game it's funny because before we made the biggest changes before the first prototype was made because like Mano was saying he had some rough ideas of what he wanted to do and whenever he asked to collaborate I kind of chewed over the theme of mansplaining itself and like how I would find that palatable, what would make me play it since generally it's not a pleasant thing to experience in real life. And to me, it we could only go in the direction of humor to make it palatable and not something that you have to really think hard about except how you're juggling the words. So once we kind of decided to go in that direction, that's when we, you know, we drew up the spreadsheets and we made these two decks and it it was kind of always from that first prototype decks of cards and it was the scoring that we ended up iterating the most and what people were doing because I think in the very first version we may have had more complex words or some more complex ideas and after the first playtest we were like 
oh no, we need to cut this down or we need these type of words instead. But it it actually this this game came together pretty pretty smoothly um and entirely online actually. Yeah. I mean, I think from the first email or the first time I texted for Tessa about it to the first time we play tested was I mean, I want to say it was weeks and and it was signed within probably like six months of it being in a, a concept that we had, you know, that we had a conversation about. I want to say it's four months. I really want to say it was four. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was super quick. Uh, it came together really quickly. How did you end up finding breaking games for the publisher? So we participated in um, online shark tank, particularly during COVID. There were a lot of online pitching events and we decided to like we had done cold calling where we had come up with a publisher list and we had reached out to a variety of party game publishers and really didn't receive too many answers from that. Um, and so we decided to do some pitching events. And one of them was the Shark Tank event where there it wasn't even the intention to get it published via that. This was just to spread more public awareness about the game. But one of the contestants of the Shark Tank, that Wise Wizards Games were the ones that ran it for that particular event. But one of the contestants from that, Jeff, he knew somebody, he knew a contact at Breaking Games, and he introduced us because he really thought that mansplaining would be a great fit for um, the Breaking Games lineup. And so through that, we set up a meeting to show them the game via Zoom because it also plays very well digitally. And they they got a really good impression from that. And after talking, we decided to sign the game with them. That is honestly impressive during COVID to make a party game online and show it online and have people really want it. That's yeah. very well done. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Also, I mean, it sounds like the process was very quick. If you said it was about, what, four months? And then how long did it take to actually have the game come out? It took much. <laughs> yeah, it took, it took a while. Um, it went through a couple different stages of like what the marketing approach was going to be and what the artwork was going to be and stuff like that. And it was, you know, I mean, whenever a game gets signed by a publisher, there's always games in front of it. So there was a few, pro there was enough projects in front of, you know, ours with breaking games to where it took, it took, uh, I think it was around two years. Oh, maybe two and a half i guess from the time that we signed it to the time that it was available yeah it was about two and a half um, because we signed it in the fall of 2020 and then it was um hit the stores in like the spring of 2023 so but honestly I, like that felt kind of felt pretty normal to me i mean when you're in the middle of that process um it takes it feels like a long time but i, I do think that that kind of timeline is like just what designers should be expect independent designers should be expecting at this point um because that's how long it takes like like there's there's just a lot of consideration a lot of things to consider when when you're looking at kind of timelines for new games so yes it was a it was a long time on paper but it was also i think fairly standard for the other contracts that i've i've had and experienced so yeah and and we also got uh not we got but the the toy fair got canceled for one of those years so that was a huge it that, that was one of those important venues that you want a mass market game to be at um, for, you know, sales and marketing and things like that. 
And did you enjoy the art direction they went with? I know your like box is kind of like a little hand doing a little dude. I, I I thought that was really cute when I saw it. But I know with like party games, especially when it's mostly content based, like trying to come up with the look of it can be pretty hard. Do you like where they landed on that? We we talked about it quite extensively about like the particularly the hand character, like what what was his vibe. Um, and getting the other hand characters was like a really big win, like a collaboration that I enjoyed because we have like hand characters on all the different sides of the boxes as well. It was one of those things where you wouldn't necessarily come up with it off the top of your head. But when they put it in front of us, I was like, this is hilarious. Love that. So. Yeah. And, and initially there was a, a um, you know, kind of a whole plan to put out like animations and cartoons when we started marketing the game with those characters having conversations and stuff like that so it, it is a fun kind of there's potential there for it to to turn into like actual some you know character dynamics and something that the people can recognize and see on on ads or whatever the case may be but yeah i was i was, I was also pretty pretty happy with it especially because you know being there for the process and, and breaking games was really good about including us in that whole in, in the whole process so we we weren't kind of just shown something at the end of the at the end of all of the work that they did it was like pretty much every step along the way they were like hey here's what they sent back to us what do you think and they took our feedback and listened to it and so it was overall that part was was yeah really positive yeah because we even got to with like with the box layout once they decided on the hand guy there were different layouts with how the colors appeared and and what was in the background and um, they let us do like a little poll to see how people felt about that and that that also helps so i i feel like we got pretty involved with the packaging of it and you know just looking through the instructions and things like that the pack out so i i'm very satisfied with that yeah that's nice i feel like some designers get a lot more control versus others i've heard some horror stories of games disappearing and coming back and you being like wait that's my that's my game <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i've definitely had I homerule one of the games that I have my name on, so <laughs> it happens. Yep. Yeah, it definitely does. I think we were pleased with with uh, Breaking Games, their um, kind of commitment to like our, I mean, I don't want to say, maybe not vision, that might not be the right word, but they definitely like wanted to make sure that we were part of the process as they were, you know, making plans for what the game should look like and how we were going to market it and what the angle we were going to take, because... It is, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit of a sensitive subject, um, mansplaining. It's something that people get really worked up over in the comments uh, <laughs> just about any time it's ever posted about. So um, I think that Breaking Games being aware of that and, like, being careful and, again, like, con considering, you know, our opinions and, and making sure that we were included was, was appreciated for sure. Mm -hmm. And they didn't, un unlike, I think, um, many games, this is one of the few games where the development process really focused on the the exterior the packaging and what it looked like for production versus gameplay because once we signed it i don't think any of the gameplay changed we may have tweaked like maybe two words yeah but the the gameplay was was pretty much done once it was signed i think we just we just added like a two player variant or um group play variant yeah minor stuff yeah, I feel like most of party games is the content, so that's impressive that you didn't have to touch it much once it was signed. Yeah, I mean, and uh, you know, we were—I think we were very intentional about, uh, you know, while we were designing it, about using like words that were 
a good fit and that, that we, you know, we're doing what we needed them to do within the context of the game. And we weren't, neither of us were, you know, we were very, also very aware of like the stigma maybe of if people see a game about mansplaining, they might assume that it's like an adult party game mm-hmm. uh, that's going to have like a lot of offensive stuff in it and that sort of thing. Uh, and that was not never our intention uh, from the get-go. So I think that we, we did, you know, we put a lot of effort into making sure that the words that we included and the topics that we included weren't pushing boundaries or weren't going to make people uncomfortable in and of themselves. So mm-hmm. um, there wasn't a lot of that cleanup work one way or the other. You know, there wasn't, they weren't like trying to make us make it more raunchy either, but um, that was all kind of done before, before it got signed. Probably the raciest word we have in there is hormone, maybe. <laughs> Whoa. I mean, okay, but have you seen what a hormone monster looks like on Netflix? It's pretty racy. It is horrifying, yes. It's <laughs> so funny. Well, then, from your experience, do you have, like, a favorite moment and also, like, a least favorite moment? In the game design or just, like, playtesting? Or... Just all of it, yeah. So it could be in the game design, it could be through playtesting, it could be uh, with working with the publisher, or even the game, like, coming out responses. Just, like, give me your, your what, your petal and your thorn. Yeah. Would you like to go first, Mondo? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that besides just the overall positive experience of working with Fortessa on this, like, it was really, really great to be on the same page as much as we were and to just, like kind of have this free flow of ideas where we were each sharing ideas and then the other person was looking over those and like picking out the best ones. And then we had a good kind of partnership of like, I was the one iterating and she was the one play testing and, and reporting the feedback. So like we had a really good balance of kind of the, the duties required for, for making a game and being efficient. Um, so that was just overall like really great to work with Tessa. And like I said, you know, her perspective and her, uh, life experience with a topic like this was was something that um, made the game a whole lot better than again it would if I made it myself. Uh, but also, I, I would say that, that that Shark Tank event that we we uh, mentioned was really great because that that event was designed for um, you know a panel of judges to look at these unpublished games and like be really critical about what was wrong with them. And most of the other pitches that we that we watched uh, from other designers were. Yeah, there was like a lot of criticism and it was kind of what you'd expect from a group of designers critically looking at different designs. But when we showed them our game, like it was just overwhelmingly positive and the judges had all these really great things to say and they were all like really excited about the game. So it was just like this sweet moment of like, okay, we've got something that is special here um, that has potential to do really well. You know, it's also there's like a sweet moment of kind of all your work and effort um, paying off and someone else seeing your vision and in that context. So that was, that was a really sweet moment. I'll let Fortessa go. Yeah. Love that. And also I agree. Mondo was wonderful to work with, set the, the standard so high for collaborations uh, in the future. She never worked with anyone again. No, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> ruined her. And just cause I've heard, I, I, before that point, I'd heard like the pains of collaborating when you're not on the same page and you're putting in different amounts of energy, but it always felt like we were putting in the same amounts of energy and the things that we were doing complemented one another. So if I wasn't so much into doing one thing, Mondo would take it on. And if Mondo wasn't into or didn't have the time to do another thing, I could take it on. And it made sure that the project kept moving and that mm-hmm. we were both contributing equally and we were both equally invested. So I I really appreciate that. and. As far as my favorite moments, 
I had two. One of them was, well, I mean, both of them are playtesting moments, but, or playing moments. One of them was kind of the first year that I moved to Seattle, which has a huge gaming scene. And I met just a bunch of people that I had never seen before. I think it was one of my first times meeting Emma Larkins in person, who designed Abandoned All Artichokes. It was, just, it was a table full of influencers and, uh, I mean, content creators and game designers and just, you know, people who love board games. And someone asked me to pull out mansplaining. So I did, and we were going around the table. But this one guy, I can't remember his name, but his mansplanation went to such astronomical levels that I could only be impressed because at its heart mansplaining is a storytelling game and this man was I think he was trying to explain something like how how to drive all of the topics are how to do blank and I think his was how to drive and somehow he was talking about driving but he also got into like doing yoga under the moonlight and it was just like, how did we get to this place? It was majestic. Everyone, their mouths were agape and we couldn't even write down notes. We were just like, it was mastery that we were seeing in front of us. <laughs> to this day, perhaps the best mansplanation I had ever seen. So that that's one of my favorite moments. And then the second one was closer to home because it was the first time my mom played mansplaining, which first of all, my mom had not heard of the term mansplaining. So just hearing that word, when I told her what the game was called, she was like, what's that? And I told her, and she was so amused. She was like, ha, 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 that's your father. Did you see? Oh my God. <laughs> it's like, what's that, what's that word again? Mansplaining? Ooh. So she just like, she will use that and be so proud. Just like, so your dad was mansplaining today. oh my god so like that that that's just a a a fun thing but any case it was her first time playing mansplaining and like i feel like because it's a storytelling game it also allows you to see the person who is telling the story and like how their mind is working and so for my mom she she actually doesn't like telling tales you know she's pretty straightforward and so when she would do her mansplanation, she would do it from a memory. She's like, as a girl, I always wanted to learn how to do this. I wanted to, you know, be able to grow up and do this, that, and the other. And because because of that, I was like, well, if something, if she's following like truth and logic, I can figure out what some of the words are. But it's just very interesting. Like different generations can enjoy mansplaining and through how people talk and relate to one another, you can also see kind of who they are as a person and that kind of shines through. And I just, I found that moment to be really endearing for me. So that was um, another favorite moment with the game. Okay. But my follow-up question, did your dad win? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, at life, I guess he wasn't even playing the game. He was just. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay. Well then what was Lee's favorite experience or moment? I think for both of us, we'd probably prefer not to say the actual least favorite part of it, <laughs> but um, just because it's kind of still going on. But for me, I think the we get a lot of negative comments about the game. Like that's really common. Anytime I post about it on my channel or any anybody else posts about it, um, there's always people that come in and have you know these wild, these huge accusations about how sexist and discriminatory the game is, and 
while those comments, like I, like I think those comments come from a place of completely misunderstanding what the game is and not having experienced it themselves, which, you know, is frustrating, but I feel like that's the negative thing. I, I got caught. I got caught up there. I'm gonna start over. No, I mean, that totally makes sense. I've had similar issues with my game, Her Story. People haven't played the game or they didn't really research it at all. And they just make an assumption based off a title. Yeah. And that, that is absolutely the case with this game, which, um, you know, it's just frustrating because it's like, if people were to play the game, they would, they would see that, that that's not what the game is. And that's not what we're doing. We're not like trying to make people feel bad about mansplaining or, you know, like tear down men. But uh, I think not being able to like communicate that to people is is a, is a point of frustration definitely i mean there's a game called karen out there so like <laughs> people jump in on this like it it just is a thing i feel like so many party games tend to come off of like fads or words that people use to explain like an action that's like in the zeitgeist at that time and mansplaining is definitely one of them and i feel like some people just need to realize it's a party game and cards against humanity has worse stuff on their cards like why are we not complaining about that (laughs) yep yeah definitely for me my least favorite it's it's similar to that it is just like before the game was even released and they just announced it on bgg a bunch of people just flooded the game with ones not having played it there wasn't even like a how to play video so they had just no no idea what the game was and was rating it once. And, you know, I find it, it'd be different if you played it and you rated it lowly, that's fine. But I just found myself really annoyed with the practice of flooding something with ones because I, I find it funny because there's a, a whole discourse about the ability to rate things tens and ones before they've even come out and you know, the discourse of it, it, you shouldn't be rating things tens to balance ones because that, that skews things. But at the same time, it actually doesn't because one's way heavier than tens. So there's just this entire discourse that comes up from a game, which is a humorous game and it's family friendly, um, but just based off of the word mansplaining, um, which triggers people. And I found that to be quite unfortunate because you know people weren't able to look at the game itself and enjoy it for what it was and i also found that you know even when playtesting in person i i've had men come up to me and just be like this game is making fun of men <laughs> do you like laughing at men like i've <laughs> i've had someone come up to me saying that and it's just like nope nope it's just a game would you like to play like this is yeah so that is that's probably the least favorite, but the good outweighs the bad for me, of course. Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely experienced the same problem, except it was during Women's History Month that I got spammed with a ton of ones on her story. And I was like, are you serious? <laughs> what? Mm-hmm. This is so ridiculous. Why is yeah. this how we're celebrating this month? Right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. I'm I'm not a fan. I feel like unless I'm getting shot, like... Mm-hmm. I, I, I can't imagine any game I've played ever rating it a one in general. Like, I have not yep. had that bad an experience. Definitely, I can think of some twos, mm-hmm. but yeah. Yep. I think Cash and Guns would have to be a real gun that shot me to get a one. <laughs> <laughs> that That is, yeah. I have I have thoughts and feelings on our rating system in general, um, but I agree. I, I have not been motivated to rate any game of one and there have been many that i have not enjoyed but i still wouldn't do that because i 
still respect that it was made. And even if it's one of those games that I don't respect that it was made because it is, you know, a controversial something that I disagree with, I still wouldn't rate it a one. I just wouldn't. I have better things to put my energy towards. So Agreed. <laughs> we'll switch subjects and go into advice. Do each of you have just one piece of advice that you could offer to a newer designer that is either maybe working on a party game or working on a game based off a word of zeitgeist or even just like working in a fresh uh, co-design partnership? Like think of something along those lines. So my advice would be that Whenever you're designing, there's always going to be a a method that works for you. And there are so many different ways that you can design games and find inspiration and then manage to turn that into a physical prototype. I encourage you not to to get caught up in the how that you do that. Um, Because again, everyone's path is different. So some people can make digital prototypes quicker, easier, and then, you know, eventually put that as a physical prototype. And some people find inspiration through listening to podcasts. Or for me, I get inspired whenever I'm issued a challenge. It may not be something I've ever done before, like with mansplaining, but Mondo is like, hey, would you like to collaborate? Would you like to do a party game? And those are two unfamiliar things, but they were challenges, which I found interesting and I tried it and I ended up really enjoying both of them. So, you know, there, there are going to be a lot of articles and podcasts with advice, but just remember that there's no one right way to do it. Just try exploring all of those avenues because everybody has a different thing that fits them um, in a different way that they find their way into the community and that they express their passion for game design or games in general. It took me a lot of throwing things against the wall to see what stuck. But I was able to find a way that worked for me, you know, even being an introvert and like being socially awkward. I'm able to, you know, go to these networking events and like show games in public to strangers and, you know, come on podcasts. And so, you know, there there are ways for you to do things, even if it, it may seem more of a challenge you just have to put the energy towards searching for a way that works for you what about you Monto? my advice for people trying to make a game i think two things i'd say uh specifically in this context the first is like really listen to and consider your the feedback that you get about your games i think that especially new designers often have a hard time separating uh you know kind of the passion and you know the excitement about the game that they're working on or the mechanics that they've developed or whatever they have a hard time believing people uh, play testers when they tell them that things are wrong with those systems and i think that um, games only get better when we when we hear critical feedback and we analyze it and we use it that's not to say that all the feedback that you'll get is always good or the right thing that you You'll always get good answers for what needs to change about your game. Um, but every bit of feedback is important. And uh, listening to that feedback and, and trying to understand where a person is coming from and the experiences that brought it about in the playtest is really important and is going to make your game better. So I think, yeah, like being able to kind of deny oneself and one's sort of hubris and, and pride and the endearment of their game, 
and to for the sake of the game, I think is a really hard lesson to learn, but also something that is is going to make the games a lot better. And the other bit would be about uh, collaborating. So you know we've talked about it already here, but I think that um, the reason that for Tessa and I worked so like when I approached for Tessa, I had already seen her design process. Um, I already play tested with her a bunch of times. I had a decent understanding of the the types of things that she was doing and the way that she approached game design. And I decided before asking her uh, that, you know, her and I would, would fit well together as, as design partners. Uh, so I think if you're looking to collaborate with someone, I think it's important to, to, to know enough about the way they work to, to understand whether or not you're going to work well together or not. Um, because like I said, I've, you know, I've seen other design collaborations and had my own that just have not gone well. Um, and it's because two designers that have two completely different uh, approaches or goals or, or, you know, capacity for a workload and all that come in and those things just don't line up. So if, if, if you are interested in collaborating with another designer, I think like really try to find someone that you think like that you have reason to believe you'll work well with them. It's kind of similar to a publisher relationship where you have to keep in mind that they're looking for someone to collaborate with over a period of years rather than just sign the game and be done with it. And it's the same with who you are collaborating with on your game. You're you're also committing to years, actually twice as many or or more than because it's the, the time it takes to design it. And then the work's not done once it's signed over. There's still like the promotions afterwards and what's going on with the game discussing with one another. So you're you're really in it long term with your design partner. So it it is, I agree, a very crucial thing to to have a good grasp of like who the person is that you're working with. Otherwise, you could have a lot of games that are like at dead, dead ends or just, you know, indefinitely on hiatus because somebody, you know, has more time than the other or less time, less energy. That's important. Yeah. And I think collaborating, I think it's a great thing to do um, because it is half the work, right? Like if, if you if if you're working with somebody else, you, you it's not all on you to do every bit of you know, every step of the process. So I recommend designers looking for design partners with that kind of understanding. Yeah, I like to do a nice mixture of solo design and co-designing. And I remember when I first tried to co-design, it was with someone who has designed a few games and he kind of took over and was just very much anytime we had a dispute, it was he has the experience, therefore we will go with his thing. And no published game came from that partnership and <laughs> for many reasons and it's like we were great friends but it just like it didn't work and i think that's some good advice that you gave on just like that partnership is going to be around for quite some time whether it's with a publisher or a co-designer but you got to get along you need to be able to balance each other and it's like equal energy doesn't need to mean doing the same thing equally. Like if someone's better at updating graphics or has more access to play testers, it's like you can split that load equally in whatever way that you deem. And also it's okay to have partnerships where one person does more than the other person on a project. And then you switch on something else or you change up your contract and have one person have a higher percentage. All of that is completely acceptable. And I think that's the beauty of co-design. Agreed. Yeah, for sure. It just yeah. have to communicate. Just oh, yeah. don't right. <laughs> love that. Communication's key in every aspect of life. It really is. <laughs> well, do you either of you have any 
projects that fans should be looking out for that you want to plug now that we're kind of coming close to the end of the podcast? Yes, yes. <laughs> I will I will say, I will say. Okay, so I formerly used to work at Funko Games and one of the last games that I worked on that I can talk about because it's out is Star Trek Cryptic and is my first time making like an escape room in a box experience. And it was for my favorite IP, Star Trek. And I basically ended up writing like a light novel for this and collaborated with Shannon, who made the puzzles and the other Funko game designers. And it just really came to life. I got to create a planet and a whole species for Star Trek. Like they gave it the thumbs up, which was really great. So it's out. And I, if you are a Trekkie, and even if you're not, you can still um, enjoy it and play it without having with having zero Star Trek knowledge. I made it or we made it so that it could be accessible to fans and non-fans alike while still having lots of treats in there for the fans to fiddle around with. So please look out for that. And the other thing is I'm working on a new game and you probably won't see this unless you see me, but I am playtesting a new game called Wajinzi. And Wajinzi is Swahili for builder. And it's a city building game, um, a city building deck builder currently. And I, I'm i very happy with where it's going right now. So yeah, if you see me and you are interested in playtesting something like that, hit me up. Awesome. What about you, Mondo? This is actually probably going to be hopefully a big year for my designs because I have, gosh, five or six that are slated to hit the either crowdfunding or the market uh, by the end of the year damn overachiever much making me look <laughs> bad <laughs> just kidding way to go well thank you uh yeah i know it's it's you know it's games that i've signed over the last five years so it's not like i signed them all at once but um this is kind of the year that a lot of them are coming coming to a head so currently color field is a game that i designed and that was illustrated by my wife, who we mentioned earlier, but she is a professional illustrator and is really talented. So we were we got to work together on that game, uh, and that is due to hit. It's being it's fulfilling right now. It just went out to U.S. backers this week, yeah. and hopefully will be in retail by uh, I think March or April was the plan. So that's that's kind of the closest thing on the horizon to go check out for. And also, I am a contestant on season one of The Floor Ooh. on Fox. If anybody is interested in watching a game show with my face on it, I'm on it. <laughs> so. Oh, that's cool. Oh, man. I want to be on a game show, damn it. <laughs> this was fun. Now I got FOMO. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, apply for season two. Try it. Go for it. I shot a, I auditioned for one, actually, this year. Didn't come out, but it's close. <laughs> nice. Which one? Hush Money. It's a new one. Okay, now I feel like I need to Google and figure out how to be on shows. It's, I mean, it's easier to apply than you think. Um, like this, this one, the floor had is, uh, it's there's 81 contestants, so it's like a pretty big contestant pool. So I think that, like, games where there's just like you know two contestants or whatever are probably a lot more competitive. But I feel like it, it can't. It, I, I was recruited. Someone reached out to me to be on it because they were they were I think struggling to find enough contestants. <laughs> So if you if you go to Fox and find a link, it, it might it might be easier than you think. Hmm. Okay, new life goals, doing it. I mean, I've already joked I want to be on a dating show. So like, hmm, <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> 
nah. All right. Well, then here for my final question to you both, if you could be the designer of a game you did not design, what game would you choose? So I have a very shallow response to this question. And it's, I wish I invented exploding kittens so I could make millions of dollars and <laughs> be a full-time designer and not have to, not have to go into my day job. <laughs> That's my answer. I mean, you chose exploding kittens over Monopoly. I'm going to give it to you. All right. For Tessa, what about you? For me, just, it's not a logical reason. I'm just really, really jealous of, of how refined this game is. Um, I wish I designed Dune Imperium because I love that game, man. I love that game. Nice. There you go. Very different games. (laughs) 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 Well, thank you uh, to the audience and everyone for joining us for this episode of Game Design Unboxed, Inspiration to Publication, episode 82, Mansplaining. And thanks again for Tessa and Mondo for joining. For anyone trying to find you guys online, is there anywhere that they can follow you? If you just look up at Fratessa on, you know, Twitter, I think Blue Sky, then, yep, that's me. And I'm, I'm, I'm harder not to find than I am to find. Games by Mondo. I'm on all the channels. Games by Mondo. And you can find me under Token Gamer, and that's G-A-Y-M-E-R on Instagram, Twitter, Blue Sky, all the good things. And thanks you two for being on here and being on this podcast. Thank you for having us. Of course. Thank you. Thank you for joining Danielle for another episode of Game Design Unboxed, inspiration to publication. If you'd like to hear more great gaming podcasts, check out nodirectionpodcast.com. And if you're looking for a great board game, bag, play bat, or gaming table, check out All Play at letsallplay.com. Join us next time.